Welcome back, everybody, to That Recruiter Show with Rodney and David. Um, super happy to have everybody back. Thanks for tuning in. And we're super excited for the show this week. Um, I will certainly kick it over to, to David to talk a little bit more, but I'm super excited about the topic we've got today. David? Yeah, thanks, Rodney. I, uh, I, I am very excited about the topic today as well. And I think it's an incredibly relevant, um, particularly for, I think, you and I, you know, in our own business, and we pay a lot of attention to that. But what I mean is, uh, we have uh, a special guest today, uh, Patrick Bauman. Patrick is a VP of Treasury for a very large organization, and I'll let him introduce himself in a second. But suffice it to say, um, he knows the ins and outs of the markets and corporate finance and how a lot of what we hear in the news uh, impacts the markets and then subsequently behaviors, whether it be how people invest or whether it be the, you know, how the impact on how companies then look at what they want to do as it relates to jobs, all of these things, because everything is 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 just very, very tied together. And so um, before we get into any of the questions and there, there are many and many, many topics that we can that we can discuss today. But I would love to just turn it over to Patrick so he can introduce himself and then we will be uh, off to the races. Yeah, thank you, David and, and Ronnie. Happy to be on the show and, and welcome, everybody. Um, I spent, as David indicated, uh, over 25 years in corporate finance and capital market. Worked with Rodney as well in uh, in mm -hmm. one of the uh, defense company. Uh, that was a fun time, and um, very passionate about the geopolitical and the economy in general. Wonderful. And uh, with that, too, I will say this: that just to caveat, uh, please do not construe anything that we talk about today as investment advice or go out and do anything all these all that we are talking about today are our own opinions and for entertainment purposes <laughs> i like it entertainment purposes hopefully we will do that right, right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right so with that with that the, i think you know one of the things that it, you know and we were talking a little bit before we got the show started here but i think one of the things that's most interesting is that we have had a couple of what seem to be big and interesting um, things happen here in the last couple of days. And I would just really want to start here with, with Patrick. So the first is the credit downgrade of the United States, which to me seems very interesting and almost kind of, I don't know, unnecessary because the, the, the U S can certainly pay their debts and every, you know, um, so it seems a little bit, a little bit weird to me. And it seems to be, you know, I've, I've seen some of the other pundits out there and, you know, Jamie Dimon, for example, thought it was probably a bad idea and all that, but so there's that. And then we've also had a jobs report come out that was a little bit lower than expected in, uh, for July. And then also, I believe the June numbers were revised down a little bit as well. So so I think those couple of things, just even out of the gate, I would I would love, Patrick, for you to just give your thoughts on the credit downgrade. And then what does it mean when you when you hear about jobs numbers that are that are still pretty good, but maybe going in in the wrong direction as it relates to expectations. And, and I would add that to that, David, we also had a, a, an interest rate increase the week before. Oh, very good. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a biggie. Yep. Yeah, so. No, so, so maybe we, we can address like uh, those three items in, in order, right? I mm -hmm. think what Rodney, what you're talking about is on on the uh, on the July I think it was July 26 meeting the Fed basically elected um, to have the the rate the short term rate uh, in the 525 range um, which which is basically 25 base point higher and mm -hmm. not totally unexpected right right. Uh, the, 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 I think for this time we've done a, a very good job. It was. They, um, they had provided enough information ahead of time, so the market kind of expected that. Um, the interesting fact, as you indicated, uh, David, is is all of a sudden, um, even though less than a week later, um, you have uh, the, the rating agency coming down on the United States mm -hmm. and um, downgrading from what is the highest rating AAA or one of the highest rating AAA to a AA+. Plus. So what what does that mean? Um, and you've seen the reaction in the market immediately with the uh, the ten year and the thirty year um, jumping up, like ten year across the the four percent range, 
um, for for quite a long time and was like 4.1 percent, something something along those lines, and, and that put a lot of pressure in the market. Does that help the, that, the inversion, Patrick? The rate, the short and long term rate inversion. It does. Okay. You, you, this is this is a very interesting uh, question, right? Uh, if you think about it, Ronnie, because. The inversion means that the short-term rate are much higher than the long-term rate, which, mm -hmm. which is a very abnormal uh, phenomenon, right? Because typically mm -hmm. you expect if you were to invest in a long-term, let's say 10 years, you should have a, a premium for investing a longer duration rather than a short-term. It's not the case. And and so if if I, if you think about it, let, let's talk about a week ago, uh, we were shy. The ten-year Treasury was shy of three point nine percent, and then right at the announcement, it jumped to like four twenty. So it's mm -hmm. a significant increase. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. Now, what does that mean? Um, well, it means that for the United States issuing Treasury. Because they have they print money and they issue OU, um, it's 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 more expensive. Uh, it it's also more expensive for a lot of organizations that have a floating rate. So so the rate increase from from last week, if you if you borrow let's say uh, based on short term, like on a thirty day over you know thirty overnight or thirty days or three months, that had an impact. And now, all of a sudden, if you have, let's say you had a mortgage and it's uh, floating base, um, th that basically went up as well. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and Patrick, we, we've seen some kind of regional bank troubles and, and a lot of talk about um, even the larger banks sitting on unrealized losses because of those rates. Does this help them as well, um, even like the, at the regional level? So I'm, are they happy to see kind of the, the long-term rate come up to 4.1 or higher? On the contrary, unfortunately, uh, if you think about it, it's like a, an inverse relationship, right? So so if you, if you have a rate increase, mm -hmm. the value of your bond or your value of your asset will decrease. Got it. And so um, that's an excellent point, Rodney. I mean, you've seen over the past 12 months, uh, Fed Reserve, uh, Jay Powell, raising the interest rate to fight the inflation. And it means that this significant increase from zero to 25 base point to 5% had a negative impact on the asset most of those regional banks were holding, especially they were holding, you know, Treasury bill. Um, which which was the case for the Silicon Valley Bank. And they, they were basically taking deposits and then investing those deposits long-term. And with the rate increase, they had unrealized gain. And as long as you hold those, those bonds or those obligations until maturity, that's fine. But then when you have depositors that are asking for the money, and you have to sell those obligations, and mm -hmm. we are trading at a discount. It's no longer an unrealized loss; it becomes a realized loss. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's and and that will deplete your reserve and 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 lead you potentially to some of those situations you've seen with a lot of those regional banks. So, so absolutely. I mean, that the fact that the the ten year treasury and and last week increase in the red in the in the short term interest rate is putting additional pressure on on those uh, on those banks holding uh, those um, those uh, fixed income or those treasury bills. Mm -hmm. And and mm -hmm. I guess this is a question as a as a treasury guy. Does that impact if an organization has to go and and go into the capital markets? A is are banks as willing to lend, you know, if they're in that situation? And B, is it more difficult? You know, I, I imagine that's a much more difficult decision if you're a CEO to say, I've, you know, we've we've got to finance this MA or or whatever it might be at two percent versus five and a half, or even if it continues going up upward towards six. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, in, in finance, uh, finance 101, they, they talk about, you know, discounted cash flow and, and payback, uh, rate of return. And so, absolutely. I mean, you're the CEO of the company or, or your pro, uh, project manager, uh, and you have to determine, you know, do you want to expand or do you want to spend CapEx, for instance, uh, for a plan for, you know, could be a plan, could be a new facility, could be a car, could be vehicle, could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. And then looking at, okay, what's my rate of return that I need to assume? Well, your rate of return is based on your weighted average cost of capital, which which derives from your cost of equity and your, your, your cost of debt. If your cost of debt all of a sudden double or triple, well, that means that you will have to have, you know, uh, a more profit for, for your program or potentially you're going to pass because mm-hmm. you're not going to have the rate of return or the minimum rate of return uh, to justify that investment or that risk. And that's that, that's uh, that's becoming a very difficult and dicey situation because it's almost like a domino effect, meaning you know, you're on a tech or you're a different sector and you're depending on, on growing the company or growing the, the organization through investment or through acquisition and cost of capital now is at a premium, you're going to slow down. And, and that means from a, from a labor standpoint, potentially you're not going to hire or you're going to defer those hiring. And that's what David, I think that's what David, you, you're referring, right? I mean, right. today what today was a, a day that a lot of people were looking for and, and we're looking at the um, basically the, the job growth. And so the job growth uh, this morning, I think we came up at about 187,000, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep, yep. And and then the market kind of anticipated something close to two hundred. So so what really it means um, is that that you know a pundit can say well that's a sign that basically the economy is slowing down because you have less job created than anticipated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is that yeah? Oh, go ahead, Roddy. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. That's okay. I'm just going to say, and what's interesting about that too is you know and i think that the good news is from what i understand and and i was listening to bloomberg and and i believe it was the bank of america ceo that was on there he um or at least it was some c-level person from bank of america and he was talking about how you know the good news is it seems like layoffs outside of like maybe pockets here or there layoffs have very much slowed down or or not going on anymore but he was talking about b of a specifically and he mentioned he said you know one of the things that we saw even pre-pandemic, you know, we had our attrition at a certain rate, he said, and then it actually spiked last year in the great resignation. If you remember that, he said, but what, you know, and he said it was about 15% at that point. And I think, that's, you know, he's being kind of broad sweeping kind of across the board. He said, but now attrition is down to 8%. He says, so what that means is that, you know, like last year we hired 3,700 people this year, we are, we hired 900 people, you know? And so I think it it's interesting because it, it, it's Patrick to what you were saying, it, it absolutely bodes in such a way that, you know, in the behavior of people that hiring is going to slow down. It's not going to stop, but, but it'll be slower because people are less apt to move and companies are less apt to spend money or go get, you know, go get money to, to, to fund projects. So, you know, it just, I think it means that things are just going to be a little bit slower. I, the interesting thing for me is how slow and for how long, and does that mean, recession or does that mean soft landing you know as, mm-hmm. as they term it right i mean patrick what are your kind of general thoughts on that oh absolutely i mean i it, it's interesting because there's a there's a couple of data that that we are also waiting right so from a let, let, let's take a step back first and the main goal and define the main goal of the fed so so the fed the federal reserve bank of the united states let's refer them to the fed their goal basically is to stimulate the economy and and to have an economy whereby you have a steady growth uh gdp steady growth you can define it to two and a half percent the average growth in the united states typically is in a two two point something range 
And 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 really, what the Fed wants to do is is to have an inflation close to two percent on average, and then to have full employment. Now, full employment doesn't mean where we are now at 3.5, 3.6%, somewhere around, you know, 5, 5.5%. And so what what the market participants have been focusing on two key data. One is the employment, and then the other one, obviously, is the inflation. So now you have a little bit of insight as to what the economy is doing uh, with regard to the, the job creation and new employment with those numbers coming up on Friday. And so the question is, does that mean that the Fed had increased and put the brake, increased the rate, put brakes on the economy sufficient to see the job market slowing down? And then um, we will see next week the release of the inflation for the, num- uh, for, for the month of uh, I believe it's going to be uh, June, and so so the question will be more about or, uh, July. So the question will be, okay, is are we at a point whereby the inflation is coming down significantly to the point we believe, you know, the Fed is not going to raise the interest rate uh, on September twentieth? I think that's that's kind of the question, mm-hmm. and and. And and then I think what what we've seen so far is okay. Last week, if somebody were to ask, um, you know, the same question, do we still believe a recession is coming? You know, the the mood was about well, we may we may come to a soft landing whereby the Fed can transition from raising the interest rates significantly enough to slow the economy without turning into a recession. I personally think that the recession, which is, you know, academically you can define in in various ways, but traditionally it's like two negative GDP. Um, that typically define the uh, the recession, and we probably will head into a recession. Um, probably not in 2023. Probably late in 2023, um, but but we definitely will see a slowdown early 24. Uh, that that's that's what it looks like to be the case. That's interesting. And, and Patrick, with that with that too, is it so with unemployment still? And I know the growth, you know, the numbers have slowed down as it relates to growth. But I also, and I don't remember what the number was off the top of my head, but I want to say that they also mentioned that. Yeah, something like that. But I also that the job, the number of new jobless claims also went down, which mm-hmm. which you know indicates again back to what I mentioned about like the the, the layoffs and and those types of things seem to be subsiding. Um, but there's not as much churn in the market either. Then right, and so um, does this you know how much do you think that the unemployment at you know three point six three point seven three point five I'm sorry. You know, it's going to matter to the Fed, right? And they're going to be like, well, we still, you know, to your point, Patrick, you know, full employment is not technically 3.6, 3.7. It's a little higher than that. Do you think the Fed Correct. still has the mind to go, well, we, you know, we still we still could could do a little bit more here and have a little room in the employment market. And it won't destroy the employment market, but it'll impact it. Yeah, that's 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 the hundred dollar question that everybody's kind of looking at it, right? Um, right. I, I, think, I think with this new job coming up, uh, number coming up uh, today. You're right, Rodney. I think we were at 3.5, and I, it mm-hmm. went up to what 3.6. So still a lot, a, a lot, a long way to go. Uh, ultimately, I think the, uh, the the target. I would think uh, the target from the Fed pertaining to to the job should be or the unemployment level should be in a, in a four and a half uh, range. I think that's that seemed to be uh, a consistent number that that we have. Uh, that we've been familiarized over the past uh, six, uh, six to, uh, to 12 months, uh, I don't think they are going to go so strong uh, to get to the five, five and a half percent. I think that'd be uh, too significant for that. Um, and, and remember, we're talking about real life, um, and, and, and that will have a significant impact in, in a lot of households. 
And unfortunately, mm -hmm. if you look at some of the statistics uh, over the past, uh, again, a uh, couple of quarters, you've seen that the, the rate of saving has come down significantly. And now we're about 4% four, 4 range. So, so the average you know, uh, household no longer has this cushion that that existed during COVID, whereby you know we all received checks and an incentive to kind of stimulate the economy. Um, because of COVID, just you were shutting down your spending. You know, you, you couldn't go out, or you didn't go out as often. You didn't travel certainly, and and so you accumulated more saving. And and now after. Uh, COVID restrictions were lifted, a lot of the consumer stimulated the economy where you had this massive surge and, and now it's kind of coming down to uh, to almost like a normalized level. Um, but 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 yet we we could be in, into some uh, some some pain uh, for, uh, coming up in the near term for sure. I'm I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on you know as as we and our listeners kind of look at the inflation numbers coming out next week. What are some of the indicators that you're going to be looking at um, and and kind of categorizing as good, bad, or indifferent? Is do you, do you kind of have that in mind when you when you look at it? Yeah, it's 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 very interesting because um, you you can uh, you know. When you define about uh, inflation, you can look at you know the, the concept of, of core inflation. You can look at different definition uh, of inflation. And, you know, does that include? Are you going to include energy, for instance, right? right? And and those those are some of the numbers that that could be a little bit misleading. Um, and the reason I said that is if you think about. Uh, again, during COVID, energy was down significantly. In fact, I, I think we were talking about the future for the barrel was was down to almost nothing, right? Mm -hmm. It was a negative number, and then all of a sudden, the price of oil went went you know past a hundred bucks a, a barrel, right? And right. so, if you if you're looking solely on core inflation, core inflation, um, then all of a sudden. Uh, that excludes the price of, of food and, and and energy along those lines, um, and and then and then you compare versus the headline, and the headline will include those. So, so we gotta be very careful as to what we're defining, because more likely what you will see is a situation whereby and 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 you will you have it right now whereby core inflation. That we anticipate for 2023 is 3.9, whereas the headline is probably very less, 3.2, mm. um, and that mm. has not been the case um, uh, during COVID. And so, you know, analyzed, still, it's still way. No matter how you look at it, it's still you're still in the three, three and a half percent range. It's still higher than what the Fed uh, target is. And then going forward, I think for 2024, next year, I think you're going to be more in the 2.5% range uh, for both mm. of them. That's still tremendous mm -hmm. progress from where we were a year ago, right? I mean, weren't we looking at like 9% yes. over year-over-year year yeah. inflation? Yes, the, the annualized number. And and because, because you had the component, first of all, is you had – um, a multiple factor. Just look at the energy, for instance. Uh, we talk about the price of the barrel. And, and then you have to remember uh, some of the stories you heard about those supply chain. Mm -hmm. A lot of those cargo shipping stuck in, in Los Angeles, right? And, 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 then, and then this concept of, well, you know, maybe, you know, having a supply chain so extended, like in, you know, in China, um, that that has certain risk mm -hmm. and, and a cost, and and now you have you have almost like a return to let let's really look at alternative, right? Why do we need to have a production facility in China? You know, is it possible to find a, a lower cost potentially? You know, in Latin America near. The United States, or more importantly, could we bring it? Why don't we bring it in the United States? And you have technology that that could leverage some of the efficiencies. Uh, so, so those are some of the the, the questions that a lot of organizations now 
uh, assessing. Do you mm-hmm. think it's still kind of in the in the question and study study phase of that? Because I think in some areas you've probably seen some some I don't want to call it aggressive, but some definitive moves to to kind of free themselves of the supply chain from China. Like, and I would say the chip market is an example of yes. that. Um, is that widespread, or do you think in a lot of industries everyone's still kind of studying that problem before they they come up with a solution? Uh, I, I think we pa- I think we passed the the, the study. Mm-hmm. I, I I think the reality is, and and again, this is my personal opinion, and I don't want to be, you know, coming across as as you know. U.S. bias, although I'm, I'm home bias, I have to admit, uh, and we tend to be home bias when you do investment decision. But but in this situation, you, you know, outsourcing the manufacturing to China, um, while China transition, uh, you know, to, to to become a major economy in the world, you can argue that was a, a good move because they basically were transitioning from from the more farm agriculture into the industry industrialization and so they became like the manufacturer of the world mm-hmm. right now it's not the case anymore you know they're very expensive compared to other countries surrounding uh, china i mean you think about the philippines for instance uh, vietnam or you go to Bangladesh or around APAC, and then they almost at the same prices a lot of countries around us. And and the reality though is, if you look around in the United States, you can go to Mexico and you can easily have uh, a factory or a production facility in, in Mexico. You don't have to worry about you know extending your supply chain, factoring the price of you know the shipping, the transportation, the clearing, etc. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have already the the NAFTA agreement in place. Um, you, you can have easily a, a production facility in you know in Mexico near the border, uh, and you can you can even consider just in time in inventory uh, versus you know, some significant delay because for one reason or the other that that we have experienced over the past um, couple of years. And then the the other interesting thing is uh, the chip manufacturer, uh, the Mm -hmm. semiconductor. Mm -hmm. I think the the reality is China and and especially with Taiwan, they they, they definitely lead uh, the chip manufacturer for the consumer product in general, like uh, like like the cell phone or the, the some of the computer, mm-hmm. but 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 for the very precise technology, uh, U.S. Intel, for instance, or AMD, uh, as you know, they they got into an agreement, and, and in order to manufacture some of those uh, high chip, high value chip, it's it's a whole ecosystem. Um, and I and I believe China, unfortunately, is going to be left out for them. And then you're going to see basically a, uh, a group of countries that that will be basically um, coming ahead of the the, the Chinese uh, chip manufacturer. That's super interesting, and it's almost like so. I think we're all old enough to kind of have seen the timeline, but I don't know that all of our listeners have. But, you know, I think in the 90s, you saw NAFTA happen and there was a huge influx of manufacturing that went to Mexico and and Canada because of the NAFTA agreement. But once China was granted um, most favored trading status and and WTO status, that's where this seemed to kind of kick off. Am I right? And that that is correct. And they had a cost advantage from from a, from a labor standpoint, but that, but that's no longer the case. So they've kind of burned through that advantage, and, correct? And now it's it's advantageous to come back. And David, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just no because I no no no, Rodney. I the, I'm just thinking the other the other side of that coin is or part of the, maybe the same side of the coin is the politics of it all too, right? Right. Um, you know, and again, I don't want to turn this into a political discussion necessarily, but I think that politics absolutely play a role in, in kind of which way we go with China. And you're, you're hearing certain candidates talk about trying to, for lack of a better way to put it, decouple from China and, and things like that too. So I think that we now when you layer on potential governmental influence on 
things that that could that could change the dynamic. Meanwhile, you've got other candidates that are not talking about that. And, and so I don't know how they feel about it. But but I think that it's a very real discussion. And I also and the other thing, and actually, so just kind of pivoting off politics back to the Fed. Right. So the Fed tries to be neutral in, in what it does, particularly in election years. Right. I mean, so, Patrick, do you think, for lack of a better way to put it, the Fed's going to try to front load whatever they do in 2023 so that they can maybe sort of sit tight uh, and do less over the course of 2024 because it's an election year? Uh, I, I mean, you you hit the nail right on the head, David. You know, the Fed, it, it's one of those branches that needs to be independent, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's it's going to be very difficult for next year. And, and you, I think you're absolutely right. If I were the Fed, I, I will try to raise as much as possible this year um, for several reasons. Uh, some of the reasons we talked about fight inflation, job, you know, the job and the unemployment is, is, is really low at this point. But more importantly, too, knowing that you have an election year next year, it's going to be very hard to continue raising the interest rate. And more likely, you like to have dry powder. Um, if if you need to stimulate massively the economy for a reason or the other, that's that's the best tool, one of the best tools that they use. Think about it, as soon as we had mm-hmm. COVID, um, one way to stimulate the economy was to drop the interest rate to almost zero. Right. And yeah. and it's very difficult to do that when 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 your interest rate is at zero to stimulate the economy. So here the Fed. With the overnight rate at five and a, between five and a half, uh, you know, five and a quarter, five and a half, um, they will have massive, um, you know, dry powder for, for next year. And and if you look at the, you know, it's interesting because there's also for the first time, I would say for a long time, you have a significant gap between what. The, what I would call the market is expecting or the market participants are expecting versus what the Fed is is basically talking uh, and 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 anticipating right so so here for instance um, you, you can argue that in September there's a there's a strong probability that the Fed will continue to be very hawkish and ultimately we're going to be at a 5.6 5.7 average. Um, and then, and then maybe come down or stabilize that rate um, for the next two or three remaining session uh, in in 2023. The market participant, on the other hand, they still they still believe that the the Fed is going to uh, to drop the overnight rate significantly mm. to the point whereby uh, we're going to be in a in a four percent ra- uh, range uh, next year. And mm-hmm. and that's that's very telling because, you know, in finance, in investment, there's this saying: "Don't fight the Fed." <laughs> <laughs> right. Sounds sound. <laughs> yeah. So if you if the Fed is going to continue to raise the interest rate, you know, is it is it prudent to go at least on the short term in a fixed income, given what we discussed earlier? Well, perhaps not because. You know, you're going to take a loss potentially on your valuation of your asset, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, from a long-term perspective, you say, okay, I understand, and and I expect the Fed to, you know, ultimately, you know, within the next 12 months, to drop the interest rate by, you know, 100 basis point, and you take a six six or six-year duration, you're going to anticipate, you know, a, a pickup on the valuation of your bond, and so so that may be. You know, another reason basically to really assess your alternatives and then to have an understanding as to do you really, do you really believe that the Fed is going to continue on the trajectory that uh, that they have they've been on the path so far. Mm-hmm. And then on the corporate side, Patrick, does that, you know, change change the outlook of a CEO? You know, are they looking at what the market's saying versus what the Fed is saying and say, well, if it's going to be four percent, I'm not going to touch anything until November next year, when these rates do get to four percent. Or are they really kind of more looking at at what the Fed is doing and discounting what what analysts are or, or the market's saying? It's 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 a it's always a challenge, isn't it? Because because again, 
you know, you're dealing with life. Um, you know, if you get it wrong, that you're going to impact people's life. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, you're not going to do a great job. Uh, potentially, you will have to go through some, you know, we call it right-sizing or restructuring. That could be very painful. But but I think there's different factors to consider. The first one, absolutely, is, um, you know, what is your policy pertaining to the interest rate? I mean, do you, do you, because you believe that the Fed is going to ultimately lower the interest rate, do you want to lean more to have a variable rate on, on, your, on your capital market debt? And, and that way you can take advantage of that um, decrease in interest rate and, and ultimately reduce your, your cost of, your cost of capital. Um, I mean that's that's kind of a decision. For, for companies, you have two factor. Um, one factor is what the Fed is doing because ultimately it will set the base rate, whatever it is. Could be the overnight, could be thirty days, or you know sixty, ninety day, etc. Which we refer to SOFR, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in addition to that, is this concept of uh, spread. The spread is basically a function of the risk of the company. And what you've seen is, you know, as COVID, um, as we were into COVID, the spread, especially for uh, non-rated companies, so anything below um, the triple B minus, right? Anything like like the double 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 B plus and and in that range and lower, the spread raised massively, and and so so it's not only the action of the Fed that that caused the interest rate to increase or decrease, but also as a function of the the risk perception uh, of that specific. Company or or specific rating that 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 has a, a, an impact as well, and then finally, it, it's the bank because if the bank, to your point that that we discuss uh, at the beginning of this uh, in, uh, discussion, you know, if if the bank have some uh, pressure with a reserve um, because you have a run on the money from from some of the depositors. And then we have to liquidate some positions, those famous fixed income that they have uh, a discount right now. So they're going to realize losses. They're going to be less likely um, to have uh, lending practice for companies that are below investment grade. Or they're going to be very selective. And that's going to be, uh, that could be a challenge as well. And so... So then the decision is, well, do we want to wait before going to the market or rather should we go on the market now because we believe the situation will get worse? Right, right. David, there goes our mm-hmm. billion dollar loan. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> that's probably a good thing. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> if I have a billion dollar loan, I just might find myself off in a non-extradition country with that money. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> Take me with you. <laughs> yes, with a with a margarita in my hand. <laughs> no, that's you know, I, and I think it's really interesting because so much of of what we've talked about is is oftentimes out of purview of of a TA leader or an HR business partner. And, you know, I think we had talked about it before, Patrick, how important it is for them to integrate with your team, the, you know, financial planning and analysis team to really kind of look at how all of these things are playing out. Right. So we obviously just had a situation where the unemployment dropped to three point five percent and job growth slowed from two hundred nine to one hundred eighty seven thousand to really look at, okay, what are we doing or, or where's our sector and really look at these numbers. And I think have that discussion with you and understand how, what's our outlook going to be. Because so often, you know, we're just kind of given marching orders in the TA world. Um, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but a lot of times we're kind of waiting for a functional VP to say, okay, here's my engineering hires for this quarter. Um, here's what I think we're going to do for the year. But Generally, mm-hmm. you know, we're not involved in in that planning necessarily as a TA leader to say, okay, let's talk to Patrick and, and see kind of what CapEx spend we have, how that's going to impact, you know, how we're going to hire based on what projects we have and how we're going to invest. Um, 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would even take it up a level, Roddy, and say like a lot of even like HR leadership is not necessarily even involved with that, mm-hmm. that, that discussion really either. And, and as it relates to the hiring numbers, you know, they get told this is what we're going to go do without all the context. And, and, and I've seen that a number of times in my career and that typically might be right, might not be right. Right. And so, and, and it becomes much harder for the talent acquisition leaders, certainly. And then the team, you know, that they're, that they're trying to manage to figure out what it is at the end of the day, what, where, where do they need to land? What does success look like? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I agree. And, and it's, it's a hard nut to crack, I think, but I, I think that to the extent that TA leaders and certainly HR leaders can be more involved with the discussions with finance, um, the better off they're going to be. Yeah, and and I'm not I'm not saying that Patrick has the magic bullet to say here's what the number's going to be, <clears throat> but I think right. you know, we bring our expertise to that table and and you know, leverage that with with Patrick's information and have a discussion. But if if as a profession we're waiting to be told, okay, how many people are you going to hire? Right. Well, and I I think that going to the being able to go to the table with our data to have that more robust discussion. So now you're having more of a 360 discussion on it. Mm -hmm. You know, they may think that they they may say that they want X and we could say, well, we can't. There's no way to deliver that. The market can't do it. And I think back to our world of, you know, clearances. Right. Mm -hmm. When When you're starting to talk about that, there is a finite number of those people. And if you want a number that exceeds that finite number, you you will never get there. So you you can't. So, th- so then the number becomes bogus, right? And so, so you have to think in those terms of like what, you know, and what can a team deliver? So, mm-hmm. so it also helps you write size teams and all those things. So, you know, it, the, the more window you can have into it and the more data that you can bring to the table so that you have that more robust discussion, I, I, I think that puts TA, one, it, it, it puts TA in a better light. And two, it allows TA leaders to operate at a different level and a better level, I would argue, as it relates to what they're able to deliver at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's leadership, Patrick, wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's a lot of that is integration and, and kind of convergence of the different functional areas to come up with a, a true 360 decision about the, those types of things. No, I agree with you. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the model that, that we had, you know, when we were working together. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's very, it's very key Especially uh, as a team, you know, you're recruiting, you're bringing a new, a new asset into your organization. You, you, you know, you need to be able to articulate the vision of the organization, the mission, etc. Yeah. So, are we going to grow? Are we? Do we have sufficient capital to allow to grow? Uh, and all those type of decision. But also at at the personal level, you want to set the right expectation because. You know, a couple of years ago with the economy facing an inflation, to your point, analyze of 8%, if you were to tell one of your candidates, well, guess what? You're not going to have any salary increase for whatever reason, or mm-hmm. our salary increase are capped to 2%, you may not be competitive in this tight market. And I think that's the, that, that's the key. And, and being able to articulate that as an HR resources to the line management, say, look, you want an engineer, you want, you, you know, you want a, an FPNA, you, you want this type of resources. You got to get factor some of those budget constraint mm-hmm. and, and those uh, expectations mm-hmm. as well. And David, you're right. I don't have the solution, but but you know, your financial team should be in a position to give you the fact. You know, mm-hmm. what's the unemployment? What's the inflation? What's the anticipated, uh, you know, inflation, and then, and then, and then you can each of you bring a, a set of um, expectation, but also a skill set that 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 could shape that discussion with uh, with your potential candidate. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, and it's it's interesting. I think um, so. I I learned a lot working with you when we worked together, Patrick. And you know, I think that organization did a lot with integration and. So Patrick worked in the in the big wig building A. <laughs> Alphabetically, I was in D. <laughs> but I spent plenty of time in A. Does, that, does a. that tell me all I need to know? It does. Um, 
But, you know, I think it was a well-integrated organization in the sense that I was always talking to FP&A. I was always talking to Patrick. Um, you know, if, if we were going to, you know, I think at one point we did some proposals with our, with a like a $30 million program within HR. And, and you know, I think I'd asked Patrick about that. I asked FP&A about that to really kind of make sure that, A, the numbers were right, we're doing the right thing and, and integrate that into that decision. And, and that was a normal thing, but that didn't happen anywhere else I've ever worked. No, and I will tell you, I can, speaking of another large um, aerospace and defense organization, not so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And to the point where, I mean, I, I actually, in my role, did a workforce planning model and took it up to leadership to, mm-hmm. to try to figure out what we were trying to do because it was so all over the place and it was so disparate in the decision making kind of like I hate to say it's kind of like Amazon, right? Where you have a lot of people trying to make those decisions, although I guess that's changed, but it gets you to weird places in your mm-hmm. headcount. And, and when we're trying to do a lot of pro- programmatic hiring, particularly around university students and interns and things, you know, we needed to, we'd had to have some, some sort of model by which to then back into targeting all the different schools and all the different things that go into that. Right. And so, um, you know, and I don't believe, I don't purport that my model was, was exactly right, but I think it was different than anything I'd ever seen. And I just wish that I had had more proactive, um, discussions. It was, it was just, it was a lot of me going to them kind of a thing. And that was unusual for them, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I think that the way you have described it is, is the more of an ideal state. And I think that a lot of companies could probably, uh, take a lesson from it, quite frankly. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, coming back to what Patrick said about just understanding what organizational finances look like along with external mm-hmm. factors, because FP&A and Patrick are always looking at the, that type of stuff. But within right. the HR world, we're really just looking at compensation as a function. And compensation as a function isn't necessarily trying to, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to put this in a nice way. They're not trying to help you get over the hump, right? You know, that's a, that's a very specific function that's almost guarding money. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yes. In a lot of cases. And and so, you know, if you look at big picture, when when a lot of companies are doing their workforce planning or, or it's in a in a VP's hands to look at it, they kind of look at, OK, what are what's my revenue need to be? And then they back into the headcount based on whatever that revenue is. And that doesn't always match up with what FP&A has to say or what Treasury has to say or what, you know, your regular finance partner has to say. And right. you've got to have that 360 view of it to say, I understand that this is what gets you your number, but you don't have the resources to get to that number. And so if, if you release 500 hires to us, we're not going to get there because financially you're not set up to do that. Right. Right. And I think that's where, you know, coming in to talk to, to Patrick or, or your finance partner is is critical and and patrick i would say you know how often does an hr person come into your office no it's 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 true i know i'm in my current role we uh we actually have a a dedicated hr resource uh with us and and to your point um it's it's i understand it's not everywhere um but but it's it's i think maybe it's the sector as well Mm -hmm. you know Certain sector it, it tends to be more aligned than than, than other, um, so, so maybe it's uh, the, the sector that I work right now is is perhaps more more prone for team working and it's also a global company so so we have a lot of um, challenges pertaining to you know rules regulation that apply in different countries mm-hmm. um, and are very different. You've selected your organizations well, sir. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Good. Great, great. So, you know, one thing I do want to ask is is the Fed's got another meeting on the 20th, right, Patrick? Can can we that, do that this again? True. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh I, I, hopefully that will bring value to to the listener. I think there's uh you know, it'd be very interesting to uh to see where we are. Um the pandemic mm-hmm. may say look uh Based on what we've seen with this, with those new job um, report today, you know this this famous 187 versus the 200, 
Uh, does that mean that the Fed is done? Mm -hmm. Or does that mean that with the uh, if if the report, uh, which I believe is August the 10, you're going to have the um, inflation number coming up? Um, does that mean that the Fed may may just do one increase in in September and we're done for this cycle? So so that 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 would be a very important uh, discussion to have. And also, we will also have to to read between the the speech or the. You know the press release that uh, mm -hmm. a Fed Chair Powell is going to uh, to release. So, yep. anyone have any any predictions that they would like to make before that that next call, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> David, prediction? Oh, I think they're going to raise it again. I, I think I think it'll go up. Now, I don't know how much, but I, I I could see them easily doing a quarter. You know, you know, twenty five basis points. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think from what what I'm seeing with the kind of opening open positions shrinking and yeah. job growth shrinking, I, I think we're going to stabilize on the on the uh, unemployment rate at three point five. That's bold. It may may come down three point four, but I'm going to say it's going to stabilize around three point five. And then we'll continue to see the, the growth shrink a little bit. That's that's my prediction. Mm -hmm. Patrick, any do you want to predict anything? Yeah, no, I can I can lead with you, Rodney. I, th I think there's a 40, 45% probability that the Fed, you know, according to some of the some of those uh, swap curve and, and bond trader and some other statistic you can find, but there's you know less than 50% probability that the Fed will will raise again in September. Um, and and I think it all depends on on this um, inflation mm -hmm. coming up number coming up, but but if 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 uh, Chair Power is looking at the unemployment, and there is less pressure right now that you see on clearly on, on the new job, and then the inflation is coming down because remember you have this lag. Uh, he may he may be done. He, he yeah. may be done. So so I would say uh, September will be uh, would not be any uh, rate increase. Uh, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, and and so thank you. I I Patrick, I cannot say thank you enough for having joined us today. It was awesome. Oh, you're welcome. No, absolutely, absolutely. Same, same here, Patrick. Thank you very much. This is for anybody that's into this stuff, and I certainly am, and I know Rodney is as well. <laughs> this is this is riveting stuff to to hear it from somebody <laughs> who is. who is ensconced in it on a on a day to day basis at a very large global organization. Um, it's uh, it's it's very one. It's, I think it's really interesting, but two, I think it's very very valuable information. And it, and you know, and and when Rodney and I start to think about our business and what we're doing. Um, and then a lot of our listeners are recruiters too. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, how do you synthesize all this information and what does it actually mean, uh, on a go forward basis? And then it helps you, you know, make whatever decisions you think you might need to make at that point. And so I think having, you know, someone like yourself be able to sort of distill it down into its most important parts is, is really interesting and really useful. Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. Well, thank you. Thank you, David and Rodney, and uh, talk to you in September then. You got it. All and right. So I'll say to, say to everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And um, thanks for listening to That Recruiter Show.